Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the Sons of Sequoia podcast, broadcasting live from Wheat Ridge, Colorado, the home of the champions. Today is November 16th, 2021, Thursday, and we will be discussing some famous quotes by presidents of the United States. I'm joined, as always, with my co-host, Michael Harper. How are you this morning? I'm doing fine. It's a beautiful day, and these quotes will be fun to do. So today, we're just going to have fun with quotes, uh, and maybe some of them may help us. Yes, definitely. I I know that uh, I like to do quotes because they're also good uh, to sort of crib off of if you're looking for song lyrics. That's one reason I like them. Um, <laughs> you can just sort of steal the sentiment. And the funny thing is, you know, we've done quotes from Confucius, which is, you know, ancient Chinese. We've done quotes from Will Rogers, which is more or less contemporary American. And... A lot of the sentiments expressed in quotes over hundreds or thousands of years, um, they're the same. A lot of them are, you know, keep on trying, don't give up, uh, be true to yourself, be good to other people. And so I think that we were discussing this the other day. Um, times change, but people don't. And the sentiments that are valued don't really change either. Yeah, there's been there's been examples of uh, here's a saying and you say it and they go, oh, yeah, that's exactly what happened the other day. Mm-hmm. And that saying was from the 1600s or, or 2000 B.C. or something. Yeah. You know, was, uh, so, yeah, people don't change. Like uh, I saw some guy, I forget what his name is, but he's saying, don't read the news. The news is a waste of time. Read history because <laughs> you learn everything you need to know about the news by reading history. It's an interesting thought, don't you think? Um, so but, we but ha- today the the presidents also David the presidents will have a different perspective because they were leaders of the country whether they were good or whether they were poor uh, they were still in the position of leading the country and they saw a lot of things and that uh, those experiences will make you start thinking about uh, deeper things like oh what am I why am I here what am I doing here about the future how do things work and. So just the fact that presidents were in that position uh, across the, the centuries, uh, two centuries, that uh, they, they're going to see things differently. Mm-hmm. And, and also we hear, we keep hearing the presidency will change people because they have a lot of responsibility and they see a lot of things. So these quotes might be pretty interesting. Yes. Yeah. Shall we um, take a look at the quotes? Yeah, let's do it. Okay, quotes by president. This is from Brainy Quote, so shout out to Brainy Quote for uh, giving us content for today. Um, uh-huh. The first quote is by Abraham Lincoln. Are you uh, where I'm at, too? Top of the page? Yep. Okay, you can fool all the people some of the time, and some of the people all the time, but you cannot fool all the people all the time. Abraham very, Lincoln. Very true, and he probably understood that. Uh during the Civil War. Yeah, I didn't know that was an Abraham Lincoln quote for me. That always seemed like more of, oh, um, I'm bleeding through on your speakers. Could you turn your speakers down? Oh, sorry. Um, I always thought of that more as a line from Bob Marley's Get Up Stand Up. <laughs> yeah, I never I never knew that Abraham Lincoln said that, but it makes sense. Mm-hmm. It makes sense. Um, so, yeah, I, I suppose we saw this with... Uh, the QAnon movement here in the last election. I mean, I, I feel like those people were fooled. Um, you just had some kid, you know, in Japan pretending to be Q, uh, telling him what to think and like running a sort of operation on him. 
and they were fooled. But not everyone was fooled. So no. you can fool some of the people all of the time. Those are the type of people that got fooled by uh, QAnon. They're the type of people that you can fool all the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, let's move on because this one, I don't like the second one either, but I'll just say it. Ronald Reagan, the most terrifying words in the English language are, I'm from the government and I'm here to help. Oh, man. I think this is, you know, in line with Ronald Reagan's conservative, smaller government strategy. But I feel like there's a lot that the government does that's very helpful and useful to people. Yeah, well, in our country, that's for sure. Mm -hmm. But also, who knows, in other countries, that may be very a much, uh, a much uh, maybe more true in other countries in this country. Because the government uh, sometimes are not, they're not there to help. But, but he's saying there. in the English language. Maybe he's in talking the about the language. English government, the Australian government, the American government. And I think it's a way of abdicating responsibility. It's like, I'm trying to get us to do less. And if I get us to do less, that's a victory. Right. Yeah. Well, like where Rogers said, uh, the America is going to be great in spite of the government. Mm-hmm. So it's the same, same sentiments like, uh, yeah, but the governments are important. Uh, to have to structure an order. Uh, it's, and I don't think it's the government that's the problem. It's the implementation of the government that's the problem. And so that's why we need to get good people in our government. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that this is just a laugh line and it's a justification for slashing budgets for social programs while, right. you know, budgets for military programs spiral out of control and, you know, taxes for the middle class stay stagnant while the taxes for the wealthy get slashed to kingdom come. Um, that's what he's trying to say here. And I think that, and the meaning behind this sort of makes what he said right. He's like, I'm gonna try to help you guys. I'm gonna try to help you by cutting all the social programs and giving a bunch of money to the most wealthy people. And it's like, wow, you really proved your quote right by proceeding <laughs> with that course of action. Um, so it's sort of a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? <laughs> right. In that sense, yeah. Well, the next one's Theodore Roosevelt. Do you want to read it? Nobody cares how much you know until they know how much you care. <laughs> I'll play on words yeah, uh, to, to try to have an emphasis of the sentiment, but it's probably true, is that if you really care, they'll put, they'll listen to you because you're doing things out of... Out of uh, uh, because you care. Yeah, I mean, they want you to feel it. They don't want you to just sort of be a robot sort of dispensing duties. Right. It, it reminds me of when we watched Alpha Go. I think the same thing. Yeah, and um, this guy, he was considered an artist of Go. The, you know, the guy that lost. Uh-huh. And... He was considered, you know, Go is considered an art form. Like, if you're good at Go, it's like you're good at music or you're good at painting or something. But it is a competition. And you have a computer use a bunch of algorithms and sort of brute force, sort of look down the line what would be the most optimal move. And it beat this guy. And it sort of shattered his illusion of what humanity was. Because the computer doesn't care. The computer has no skin in the game. The computer's just trying to win. It's programmed. It doesn't have any emotions, and yet it can yeah. beat him at something that he cares so much about. Yeah. <laughs> well, I like John F. Kennedy's quote here. Next one. Victory has a thousand fathers, but defeat is an orphan. Mm-hmm. 
<laughs> and I think that's uh, it's one of the reasons why, I mean, mankind has progressed at an extraordinarily steady rate. But I think it's one of the reasons why we haven't progressed faster. You know, when success occurs, everyone chimes in to say, this is what I did and this is why it was successful. But when defeat occurs, no one says, this is what I did and this is what I could have done better to avoid defeat. No one wants to own the defeat. And I think John F. Kennedy's right. Yeah, me too. Me too. Because especially in the United States, we're all about winning. We're not about losing. Mm Mm-hmm. And the loser is a negative connotation. But there have been people, very good sayings, I don't, maybe not presidents, but, you know, like, hey, there's nothing wrong with failure. You learn a lot. You learn so much of what not to do and what you can do better. And and you, that's how you grow is defeat. Well, uh, people, no one wants to own it. No. That's a problem. That's a problem. If you if you own up to it and says, yeah, that's what I did wrong. I'm not doing that again. And so we we learn from it. Yeah. I mean, the only time I've seen someone so graciously own defeat was uh, about a year ago today when they announced the results of the election. And everyone just said, you know, I won. And the other person said, you know, I lost. Let's just call it that. Good game. Right? Of course. (laughs) Um, Well, you could take that further. I mean, uh, that's true. A thousand fathers, defeat is an orphan. But to me, you go deeper. And why is that true? Mm-hmm. And why do people never really want to say, I lose? Uh, they will. That's a problem. Mm-hmm. That's a problem. If 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 you are defeated by the rules, then you want to change the rules. Yeah. It's like the people that are hanging around you and everything's going great. They might be your friends. But if they're hanging around you and everything's going awful, they probably are your friends. <laughs> You know what I mean? That's right. That's right. Friends are friends are with you no matter good or bad. If they're good, uh, they're not really friends. They're opportunists. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're friends with what you can do for them. They're not friends with you. That's right. That's right. Well, this next one is very violent. Oh, is, Tom, is it? Thomas Jefferson. The tree of liberty must be refreshed from time to time with the blood of patriots and tyrants. Wow. Okay. He says to me, he's saying in order in order to have liberty, there's gotta be bloodshed. Mm-hmm. And liberty is a tree that grows for generations and generations, you know? So you may think that. Um, you know, unless you triumph over tyranny, liberty will die. And he's saying, no, like your blood will water the tree of liberty. And if a tyrant takes control, their blood will water the tree of liberty. Um, I think but it's he's so- saying it, he's saying it must be refreshed, which means he's saying that you'll never really arrive. You yeah. always have to keep refreshing it. There's always going to be bloodshed. Mm-hmm. And I think that the interesting thing is in the modern age, what I've seen anyway, is you just define yourself as a patriot and anyone that's against you as a tyrant. That's sort of the tactic. And you could be doing something that's sort of antithetical to the values of your country. Um, but if you're doing it for the cause of patriotism, then everyone else is a tyrant. It's, it's fascinating to me that that's sort of, and I don't think that's new. 
It's just it's coming to more stark relief these days, right? Yeah, you're right. It's becoming uh, enlarged, very enlarged. It's very obvious that, and also because it's so pop, so I say popular, and that a lot of people are or have had they have that attitude. Uh, it's pervasive. It's it's increasing. A lot more people are becoming more more active with that type of attitude, which is really dangerous. I, the fascinating thing to me is that no one ever sees themselves as the bad guy. Right. Um, and you could 100% be the bad guy. But I think in your heart of hearts, you're like, no, they're the bad guy. I'm the good guy. You know, it's fascinating to me. Like, even if you're a hardcore bad guy, a lot of, most people won't admit it to themselves. It's sort of like the John F. Kennedy quote. Victory has a thousand fathers, but defeat is an orphan. If you're a bad guy in your head, you're a good guy. Yeah, good guys have a fa- thousand fathers. Bad guys is an orphan. <laughs> <laughs> but the idea is that the, on both of them is is uh, being a father and an orphan. You're like, yeah, there are a lot of people who want to say they're 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 winners. Are you a patriot? Or, yeah. Are you a patriot? Or are you a tyrant? Yeah. Are you a winner or a loser? Mm-hmm. Do you have a father? Or are you an orphan? Yeah, and I'll, again, like you say, uh, the bifurcation, the fellowship of bifurcation, uh, people are people. There's a whole spectrum here. It's not just A or B. But the A or B are the dipoles to say you have to know those boundaries to know you're moving toward one side or the other. Yeah. I mean, but it's like... I'm always reminded of when we went and saw the Colorado Chamber Orchestra at that church, that Lutheran church. And I think of American politics a lot like I think of that day. Because we're sitting in this Lutheran church. I don't know a Lutheran church from a Jewish synagogue. You know what I mean? Like, I've never been to a Lutheran church before. And, um, And I ask you, you know, are Lutherans and Episcopalians like pretty much the same thing? And you're like, yeah. (laughs) And the, and the lady turns around and she says, oh, no, they're not. Because she was probably a Lutheran from that church. Yeah. And yeah. the thing about it is, like, they basically are the same thing. Um, it's like they worship the same God. They have the same holy text. They originated in the same part of the world within the same hundred years uh, yeah, or 200 one's, years. One's, one's an English church, one's a German church, but then that's the origin, but... It's basically the same. Yeah, they're so similar, and yet that little difference, and I, I see that with, with politics as well. It's like, are you a conservative or are you a liberal? It's like, I'm an American. Like, we're from the same place. Like, we share the same values, and if we differ on points, like, a lot of times those points were manufactured to create division between us. But really... What the takeaway should be when we look at what we believe and what we don't believe, it shouldn't be on these hot flash issues where we have differing opinions. It should be on the fact that 90% of our political DNA, 99% of our political DNA is the same because we were born here or we were naturalized here and we came here for the reason that we believe in the values of this place. And a lot of people sort of forget that when it comes time to sort of draw dividing lines it's like they're the enemies like no like no one is closer to us than them you know if they're on the other side of the aisle from you like no one in the world is closer politically to a democrat an american democrat than an american republican um no no one in the world is 
closer to an American Republican than an American Democrat, uh, just in terms of <laughs> lived experience. Do you, do you see what I'm saying? When you look at the bigger picture. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you, you mentioned the religion. Uh, the uh, Baptists immerse for baptism. Presbyterians sprinkle, and they sprinkle children. And so the idea is that, oh, if you're not immersed, you're not a Christian. Because that's the sign. That's the, that's the main thing. If mm -hmm. you're not immersed, you're not a Christian. That's not, wait a minute. That's just a symbol? It says, no, it's not a symbol. It's real. It's real? No, it's just a symbol. So it, it, people have all these beliefs, and the, belie the, the actual beliefs become the doctrine. Yeah. Like, um, what is pizza? Oh, pizza is like bread and sauce and cheese, and then you put toppings on it. It's like, oh, so it's ham and pineapple pizza pizza? You'll have people that will tell you, if you put pineapples on your pizza, it's not pizza. It's like, it's right. still pizza. <laughs> yeah. Which, so. which sort of begs the question, is a hot dog a sandwich? <laughs> it's close enough. Would you call it a sandwich? Uh, yeah, I'd call it a sandwich. Is a cere is cereal soup? Uh, I, I'd say it's a form of soup. Yeah, <laughs> depends on how you. There again, depends on how you define it. It's mm -hmm. all in definition. Yep. And then you could sort of have people that are for and against it, and they'll get angry with each other, even though it just doesn't matter. I guess the thing just, is, <laughs> that's a point. It just <laughs> doesn't matter. <laughs> Shall we move on? Yeah. You could read Franklin D. Roosevelt. In politics, nothing happens by accident. If it happens, you can bet it was planned that way. Hmm. Hmm. I, I maybe. Is that wishful thinking? <laughs> I, I think he's talking about the machinations of Congress, how to pass legislation. Um, I don't think he's talking about wider world events. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I think someone could point to this and be like, see? Last year, COVID-19, it was planned. And it's like, I don't think he's talking about that. I think that people define everything as politics these days. Whereas I think he's talking about politics with a little p. You know, insider trading, horse trading. Oh, I'll, I'll uh, put this government arms depot in your district and that'll employ 100 more people if you vote for my legislation on uh, building a highway over here. That type of stuff, um, it all gets planned out. Yeah, that's the politics he's talking about. Yes. I think so too. Yeah, but that that's that's true. But uh, it doesn't really affect people that much. It's just you should know that that happens mm -hmm. in Washington. But he has the next one too. And politics, nothing. Ha oh, it's the same thing. Yeah, Barack Obama. Okay, let's let's zip ahead to, to this century. I can't do an Obama impression. Can you do one? I've never tried. I don't know. Change will not come if we wait. <laughs> I, I just do the pauses. I don't know. For some other person or some other time, we are the ones we've been waiting for. We are the change that we seek. That's not bad. <laughs> I like it. Yeah, it's not bad. It's like, if not us, who? If not now, when? That's what he's saying, right? Yeah, it is. It is. And we and we are the change that we seek. So don't be looking outside, look inside. Yeah. You're the ones who are gonna be changing things. 
Like uh, like that Larry David scene when he's with Cheryl's parents. Um, I forget exactly what precipitates. Someone gets stuff sp- spilled all over him. And uh, Cheryl's mom says, somebody get a towel. And she's like the closest to the kitchen. And Larry looks at her and he's like, why don't you get a towel? <laughs> <laughs> it's true. It's kind of like that, isn't it? Yeah, it kind of is. <laughs> well, Dwight D. Eisenhower, you know, leadership is the art of getting someone else to do something you want because he wants to do it. Mm-hmm. I think that's a really good quote. Yeah, it's interesting. It's sort of identifying people that, and then you don't have to cultivate your ideas in other people. You find people that have the same ideas as you. And then you get them to do what they want to do. <laughs> it's it's fascinating, but it's true. And there's a lot less friction that way. How do you feel about that quote? I'm trying to get it straight in my head. Art of getting someone else to do something you want because they want to do it. So it's getting oh, the people it's getting the people on the bus that are going in the same direction as you. But then you're not the one that's saying, "Why don't we do this?" They're saying, "Why don't we do this?" and you're saying, "That's a great idea. You go do it." Cuz you didn't want to do it in the first place. You didn't want to oversee it. You didn't want to supervise it. The reason they're on your team is because you know that that's what they want to do, but that's also what you want to do. But you don't tell them that's what you want to do. You let them act like it's their idea. And then you're a leader. <laughs> and you guide how they do it. Um but they'll be enthusiastic about it because they'll take ownership of it. And I think a lot of that is taking ownership of it. Yeah, because they, they will more likely agree with your leadership if it's what they wanted to do in the first place. Yeah. Like I saw um, a movie on the making of Thriller. And they had all the instrumentalists that were on Thriller. And the fascinating thing to me was they all took ownership in Thriller. So they said, you know, Michael and Quincy, Quincy was a producer, Quincy Jones, were in charge. But when it came to crafting this or crafting that, doing this percussion line or making this little guitar riff, you know, it's like they let me have free reign. And when I came up with something, they were like, that's good, that's good. Yeah, then, then we recorded it. And they felt like they, they were integral members of the process and their contributions were meaningful to the final result. And it was fascinating to hear all these people interviewed and none of them felt like Quincy Jones or Michael Jackson was a tyrant. They felt like they were team members and their contribution led to the final goal. Uh, They weren't just told how to get somewhere and slave driven. It's fascinating, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And I think that's because they got the right musicians. They got the musicians who would do the things they wanted, and then they said, do what you do. And then when they did it, they said, that's great. That's what we wanted in the first place. But then the musicians were like, they didn't tell me what to do. They told me to do what I do, and I did it, and then they loved it. Yeah, that that is part of, well, part of the leadership is picking the right people and having the right people around you. Mm -hmm. Getting the right people on the bus. Uh, Getting the right people on the bus, yep. Okay, the old guys, Jefferson, Washington, they're all full of doom and gloom. <laughs> yeah, it must have been tough back then. If the freedom yeah, of George speech, Washington, 
George Washington, if the freedom of speech is taken away, then dumb and silent we may be led like sheep to the slaughter. It's pretty intense. Wow. Well, we're exercising our freedom of speech this morning. Would you not agree? Yeah. We can say how what we want to think of these things. Mm-hmm. And there's things you can say here that you couldn't say in other countries. Like... That's right. I think George Washington was an idiot. I'm sure that there's some countries where you can't say you think their founding father was a... Uh, you can't go to North Korea and say, I think Kim Il-sung is an idiot. That's not going to fly. You can't live stream that out. No. But here you can say that. But also you can say things to tear down the country, which is unfortunate. Mm-hmm. But I, I think the idea is, in a marketplace of ideas, your rhetoric to tear down the country should not be strong enough to defeat the strength of the country. That's right. So you should minimize your own position by saying something that's not, um, it's an out-of-consensus opinion. The freedom of speech is only valuable if everyone speaks. Mm-hmm. You can't have people be silent. You have Everyone has to be part of the, part of the conversation. Because then it's everyone, then everyone owns uh, the direction you go in, and everyone's not going to agree with it. Mm-hmm. That's the other thing too, you know, freedom of speech and freedom of action, and yeah, everyone's not going to agree with everything that's said. And uh, today, uh, people say different things, and so that's a cause for one side to be angry to the other side because they don't say what they said. Uh, and so that's that's a problem. Mm-hmm. I think freedom of speech. You need to go further. And say, understand what they try to understand what the other person is saying, and then agree to get agree to disagree and come together with a direction, a common direction, whether you agree with it or not. But there's some people that are so far gone from your perspective, you know, like a neo Nazi spewing neo Nazi rhetoric. Are you going to say, well, let me just listen to this person? Oh, this person has a 14 hour diatribe on YouTube. Let me just watch it from start to finish and try to understand what they're saying. You'll say, I'm not going to engage with this. You know, there's you have a limited amount of bandwidth in your life. You do, but you should know what that neo Nazi is trying to say, uh, whether it's good or bad. Mm-hmm. So you so you so you can formulate your own opinion, because if you don't listen, if you don't try to understand what they're saying then you might fall in the same traps that other people have fallen into because you're ignorant of why you don't want to believe that. Because they can make things, anybody can make anything sound good. Yeah, that's true. I mean, of course, we're not in the business of defending neo-Nazis. But like the ACLU, there was a guy, what was his name? I forget his name. He defended a neo-Nazi march. In, I forget, some town. I, I wish I had these facts and figures. And he was a Jewish guy, and he worked for the ACLU. And everyone hated him. And he said, this isn't um, an anti... I mean, it is an anti-defamation issue. Like, these people hate me. They hate who I am because of who I am. And these people are horrible. But these people filed for a petition to rally in this town square. I'm a lawyer for the ACLU. I see their... Uh, right to rally as important and i see it as a first amendment right so these people hate me but i'll defend their ability to hate me because that's the first amendment fascinating huh 
I, I kind of agree with him a little bit. Mm-hmm. Now, do you think that speech can go too far and become dangerous? Yes. When speech is an be. incitement to violence? And now, do yeah. you think that that's a very gray line? Yes. But it's an important line. It's a very important line that uh, the uh, you can say what you want to say, but you can't uh, you can't say anything. You can't you have a freedom of speech f- to a limit. There is there are limits. You can't tear people down. You can't lie. You can't you can't destroy people's lives. You can't mm-hmm. this kind of thing. You know, there, there are some things that th- there are liable laws. But you, you know? can lie. And you know how you can lie. You create a work of fiction. Like take Citizen Kane. Charles Foster Kane is obviously William Randolph Hearst. And the story that's being told is the story of William Randolph Hearst. But he's not William Randolph Hearst. He's Charles Foster Kane. Everything that happens in that movie, the viewer goes in saying, this guy's William Randolph Hearst. But he's not William Randolph Hearst. He's Charles Foster Kane. Now, some of the dra- drama- dramatized scenes in that movie, they may not have happened in William Randolph Hearst's life. But you leave thinking, that's who William Randolph Hearst was. William Randolph Hearst was that guy that I just saw in that movie. It's obvious that that was him. But can William Randolph Hearst sue Orson Welles? No, it wasn't a movie about William Randolph Hearst. It was a movie about Charles Foster Kane. It's fascinating. You can do it with fiction. Yeah, you can. But I think it has to be explicitly fiction. You can't say, this person did this, that person did this. You can tell a story where the character in the story is obviously someone else, but they have a different name. And sort of make them whoever you want them to be, a straw man. People have done that for centuries. Mm-hmm. I mean, a lot of literature, a lot of popular uh, literature over the over the centuries had had that uh, had that reasoning behind them. Mm-hmm. It's and it's been it was very effective. A lot of literature we have today began that way. Mm-hmm. Because yeah. I mean, where are you going to get your ideas from? Your your head or from the real world? There's a lot of rich stories in the real world all you have to do is just sort of change the names and bam you got yourself a blockbuster hit or a best-selling novel yeah well moving on from freedom of speech we could talk about freedom of speech for hours or days you know john adams our constitution was made only for a moral and religious people it is wholly inadequate to the government of the other Uh, that's kind of what we're talking about a little bit Interesting. Our Constitution was made only for a moral and religious people. Mm-hmm. It is wholly inadequate to the government of any other. John so if, Adams. If you're moral and irreligious, does that mean the Constitution won't work on you? I think what it means by that is that it, it began, uh, our country began from you know, religious freedom. That's why we have freedom of speech. Uh, so they they initiate it. So there's going to be religious undertones and connotations to it. Uh, even if you're not religious, it doesn't apply to you, but you can still enjoy the, the freedoms that they have. But the thing of it is, is that he says religious people. I think he means Christians. Uh, he may mean Christians. And for morality, I think he means Christian morality. Christian morality. That's right. So John Adams is a bad guy. (laughs) 
Well, no, I think he's saying that this is this is what is. Also, you know, I think that this is what we have. I mean, taking out religious because that sort of muddies the waters. It's like people have to be moral for any of this to work. You can totally use the Constitution for immoral ends if you're trying to govern an immoral group of people. And it's like, so it just assumes that people have better angels to their nature, the Constitution. Yeah. Like it's a good document in terms of sort of establishing government, especially from when it was written in the late 18th century. Um, probably the greatest document, pound for pound, from when it was written. Um for political governance in the history of mankind. And yet it does sort of imply or sort of come with the caveat that uh, it has to be governing people who are moral and, in his words, religious. You know, if these people are immoral and irreligious, the Constitution won't really govern them that well. I, I It's a good point. The, the contrast of being wholly inadequate to the government of any other, uh, I'm not sure that's always true, but it is true to a large extent, mm -hmm. is that any type of constitution or any type of document, any type of structure of governance is only valuable if the people who are using it are using it for the right, the right ends, because mm -hmm. you can misuse anything. Now, the, the thing is, who gets to define what's moral and immoral? Yeah, it's that, the that, people. That opens a whole new can of worms. It does, because uh, dictatorship, uh, the moral and religious standards is from the dictator. Mm -hmm. What they want, not the people. In the United States, it's the people, what the people want. But then again, uh, the people are not one voice. The people are many voices. So how do you do that? It's I, The more I hear that it was an experiment, it really was an experiment. Let's see how this plays out. It's pretty darn interesting mm -hmm. because uh, it's not one person, and everyone. And up in, in the 17th and the 18th century, pre 18th century uh, politics, uh, a country was ruled of Western Europe. A country was ruled by one person, and that was the morality of that country. And now the United States, there is no one person; uh, it's everyone, and it's it was a whole different whole different ball game. Yeah. And what to me, which I've said before, is that the power of a government is not in the leadership. The power of the government is in the people. Definitely. So, power so, to the people. Power to the people. Yeah, which is which is kind of true. Uh, okay. Well, shall we go on and get some more of these done before? Uh, how, how? What's our time here, David? We're at thirty-five minutes. Okay. So we got about twenty okay. minutes left, and we'll wrap up. Okay. Uh, I like this one. This one is very wordy. Do you want to read it? Should I? Yeah, Calvin Coolidge. Nothing in this world can take the place of persistence. Talent will not. Nothing is more common than unsuccessful men with talent. Genius will not. Unrewarded genius is almost a proverb. Education will not. The world is full of educated derelicts. Persistence and determination alone are omnipotent. Wow, that's that's pretty strong. That's a good quote, though. I like it. I like it. And, and it's uh, he talks about talent, uh, genius, and uh, education. And 
I mean, I think it's about just, it's it's things you own, things you have. So it's not what you have; it's how you use it. Yeah, and it's about you know basically working hard and working hard towards a goal, not just sort of being scatterbrained and working everywhere. Um, I think about the Fantasy Factory. Remember that show with Rob Durdeck? It was the show before Ridiculousness. So he had Chanel West Coast. He had his cousins. He had his business manager, Rob Deerdick. And there was an episode where they all took IQ tests. And Rob is the boss. And he's the one that's sort of driving the ship. He's the one that's making all the calls. And he definitely did not have the highest IQ. He was <laughs> he was just like bog standard average. And... He was just the one that always said, let's do this, let's do this, let's do this. And then he would work at it until it got done. And so he, you don't have to be the smartest person. A lot of times you get in your own head if you're smart. You're like, what could go wrong? A million things can go wrong. But you know what else? Like a million things can go wrong sitting around doing nothing. And they will go wrong if you sit around and do nothing. So he's like, let's do this, let's do this. And he got stuff done. And not by virtue of having the highest IQ on the show, by virtue of saying, let's identify what to do next and then do it. Well, sometimes uh, intelligence or education gets in the way because mm-hmm. uh, and you've, you've, you've the analysis paralysis syndrome. Uh, if you know too much, you want to analyze it too much. You know, if, you, if you're educated too much, you, you have too much to bring to the table. It muddies the waters to, before you can get to success yeah. or to something that's productive. And I think the persistence determination, um, hey, uh, people reward action. Uh, and you're moving. And even though you move in the wrong direction, that doesn't, doesn't mean you have to keep going that dir- that way. You can move someplace else and, and change direction. But you can't change direction if you're not moving. That's true. So I think a lot of that is to do with just doing, being being a doer. And I think a lot a- of quotes are like that, don't you, don't you think? But like, don't rely on, don't rest on your laurels. Like, have your work speak for itself. And have your work constantly be renewing itself. Like, I think a lot of quotes are like that. Yeah. Like... It's not who you are that people care about. It's what you do. So if you're doing good work, people will recognize that. You know, if you're just sitting alone in a room being a good person, no one will care. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> no, they'll say, oh, that's nice. And there's, there's no meaning to that. There's no value. Yeah. Well, what does James Madison say here? James Madison says, knowledge will forever govern ignorance, and a people who mean to be their own governors must arm themselves with the power which knowledge gives. Knowledge will forever govern ignorance. The people who mean to be their own governors must arm themselves with the power of which knowledge gives. Mm-hmm. Well... Yeah, it's a lot of words just by saying that uh, it's better to know than not to know. Yeah, I want to know, and knowing's half the battle. G.I. Joe. <laughs> That's the catchphrase. There you go. And now well, you know, and knowing's half the battle. I think yeah, it's yeah. true in a lot of respects. Knowing is half the battle. It is. It is. Knowing what to do. Know, know your enemies. Know the problem. Know what you want know the goal. A lot of it's knowledge. Mm-hmm. Well, Harry S. Truman says, it is amazing that you can accomplish if you do not care who gets the credit. It is amazing what you can accomplish. Oh, it is amazing what you can accomplish if you do not care who gets the credit. There mm-hmm. we go. I read it better. There we go. You said that. Which is true. Accomplish. It's true. Huh? 
You said that you can't accomplish. You said it's what amazing. Did I say? You said it's amazing it's am- that you can't accomplish if you do not care who gets the credit. It is amazing what you can accomplish if you do not care who gets the credit. I mm-hmm. finally read it right, David. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I like that. I mm-hmm. like that a lot. Is that is you getting the credit more important than doing good? Or just doing good, whoever gets the credit is important. And I think that uh, that just keep doing, just keep doing good things, and whoever gets the credit, that's fine because good happens. Yeah. Be, be a be a ambassador of good, not ambassador of of self aggrandizement. I think it's be an ambassador of accomplishment, not an ambassador. No, have your goal be accomplishment, not credit. You know, your goal should be let's get this yeah. done, and That's it's like someone else. Yeah. Someone else stole the credit. It's like who cares? We got it done. I wanted this to the, what what we got done was good for the greater was for the greater good. If someone's saying that it's because of them, who cares? Let's just move on to the next thing. Yeah, the goal is accomplishment, not the credit. And moving on, unfortunately, our current president. This one's not the greatest quote. This is this is this is a quote. <laughs> yes, but it's more like a joke. Like, uh-huh. like, did you really say that? I think they slipped this in there. And oh, my goodness. I'm sure all the presidents have said something similar. They, to they get like a malaprop for Joe Biden because whoever is compiling this list maybe doesn't like him. You know, I guess I guess because something like this could come out of every president, you know. Yeah. But this is this is unfortunate. But anyway, Joe Biden, our current president. <laughs> Folks, I can tell you I've known eight presidents, three of them intimately. Yeah, darn. I think that whoever compiled this list might have an axe to grind against old Joe. Yeah. I, I, I like the only way I could say that they're being fair is if the next quote is person, woman, man, camera, TV. What? <laughs> do, do you remember what you that? Talking? No. Oh, you don't? Um, when they were talking about Trump's mental fitness, he said he took a cognitive test and they asked him to remember five words. And those words were person, woman, man, camera, TV. Then they asked him some more questions, and he said, do you remember those words? I'm like, yeah, person, woman, man, camera, TV. And they were like, that's amazing. No one ever remembers those words. You don't remember that interview? I heard about it. it was, I didn't see it. It was a bizarre stop on the uh, Trump presidency train. Okay, let's just move on, because I think this one was just trying to poke a jab at Joe Biden. Um the friend in my adversity I shall always cherish most. I can better trust those who help to relieve the gloom of my dark hours and those who are so ready to enjoy with me the sunshine of my prosperity. Ulysses S. Grant. We were talking about that earlier, weren't we? Uh-huh. So your friends, the true friends, are the ones who will be around in the dark times, not just when things are going well. Yep. Which is true. Uh, Richard M. Nixon, the Finest steel has to go through the hottest fire. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's, yeah. In other words, from adversity, you can become a better person if you have the right attitude. It's like, uh, did, I don't know what that quote is, like a, like a woman. I, I don't know. I've heard it used for women. I've heard it used for businessmen or whatever, but. A woman is like um, a bag of tea. You'll never know her finest qualities until you put her into hot water. Something like that. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's sort of like finest steel has to go through the hottest fire, you know? 
Well, also, I think Ulysses, the Grant, the Ulysses S. Grant quote, and even this one with it, with Richard M. Nixon, is that you really don't know someone until you know how they handle adversity. Mm-hmm. You know, what, what do they do when they, how do they handle anger? What do they do when they get mad? Mm-hmm. How do they, because you can get down or, or in, in uh, uh, crisis situations. Do they crumble? Do they, are they violent? Are they unreasonable? So, you know, knowing people in good times is very different than knowing them in difficult times. Mm-hmm. And the difficult times, sometimes a real person comes out. Oh, this is like a Jackson Brown lyric. Lyndon B. Johnson, you want to read it? Yesterday is not ours to recover, but tomorrow is ours to win or lose. Mm-hmm. It's like that Jackson Brown lyric. Although the future's there for anyone to change, still you know it seems it would be easier sometimes to change the past. Yeah. But this is more optimistic. Yeah. I mean, it's the same sentiment, just sort of reversed. Yeah. You have no control over the past. You only have control over the future. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Andrew Jackson, your favorite, right? <laughs> the man responsible for the Trail of Tears. Uh-huh. Um, I weep for the liberty of my country when I see at this early day of its successful experiment that corruption has been imputed to the many members of the House of Representatives and the rights of the people have been bartered for promises of office. Now, this is one thing that I, I do want to say. I, I read through some of these last night and I saw this Andrew Jackson one and I don't like... I mean, we have a particular aversion to Andrew Jackson because of his role and Cherokee removal. Um, I will say bad presidents, bad people, historically, you get a quote, and it's them castigating someone else for bad behavior, not modeling good behavior themselves. Have you ever noticed this? Uh, A lot of people that sort of try to take the moral high ground, they'll say, look at these people. They're terrible. Therefore, I'm good. Whereas, you know, other people say, hey, yesterday's not ours to recover, but tomorrow's ours to win or lose. That's like, pick yourself up by your bootstraps, keep going. You know, persistence, you know, face the new day. You know, the finest steel has to go through the hottest fire. It's like, he's not blaming anyone for things that went wrong. I feel like when you're pointing fingers, cool people don't act that way. That's, that's I guess, where I'm getting at. You sort of ask, what is someone doing with this quote? He's bitching and moaning about people being corrupt. And I think a lot of times that's projection. Why would you bitch and moan about that? Maybe because you're corrupt yourself. Um, and cool people don't act that way. You see what I'm saying? <laughs> Absolutely. I agree. It's like, how do you find corruptness? Is that because they disagree with you? They must be corrupt? Yes. The definition of corrupt is you don't agree with me. Mm-hmm. So they are corrupt. And, and the compl- rights of the people, the rights of the people are they have the right to believe what I say. Mm-hmm. And if you don't believe what I say, they are corrupt. Yeah, and, um, you know, I, I feel like leaders should form a positive... I'm going to do this, model my behavior, and we'll get to the promised land. Not, look at all these people who are doing wrong. 
I weep for my country because all these people are corrupt. And it's like, he's probably saying that because he's corrupt himself and he wants to deflect attention. I think we've seen that a lot in politics over the last five years. Yeah, it's a saying, it's a saying that when you notice that everybody is wrong but you, you may be the one that's wrong. <laughs> yeah. Well, I like Hoover. I like the next one, Herbert Hoover. Yes. Older men declare war, but it is the youth that must fight and die. Mm-hmm. And that is sober. I think every person needs to consider that because it is the young. It's the young. It's the youth that that fight and die. It's like uh, so. Lawrence of Arabia. The young men fight the wars. The old men sit around afterwards and divide the spoils. That's true as well, right? That's right. The old men start the wars. The young men fight them. When the young men are done fighting them, the old men divide the spoils. Yeah. Well, that's sad, but (laughs) let's go on to George George W. Bush. George W. Bush. Freedom itself was attacked this morning by a faceless coward, and freedom will be defended. Passive voice, I don't like that. Will be defended. Um, Active voice would be, and we will defend freedom. That would be the active voice. Uh, Yeah, I mean, I do remember 9-11, it was crazy. And you sort of have to make an enemy out of those people on that day. But this is also, I don't know. Well, I think the passive voice is that he's including anyone who's going to attack our freedom. Mm -hmm. He's not saying uh, we will defend freedom. It's it's, It's like saying we will defend ourselves. No, we will... Uh, it will be defended from anyone who aggresses upon us. Yeah. So there, there is, a, I, I see a little different connotation with the passive versus active voice. Active is you're going after it. And, and passive is saying, if you come to me, I'm going to, I'm going to uh, uh, defend it. And, 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 uh, but actually it turned out that it wasn't a defense. It was an offense. Mm-hmm. We went after Al Qaeda. Yeah, I mean, that one, it's not that, like, pithy. It just reminds you of a time. This one's good. James Garfield, do you want to read it? The truth will set you free, but first, it will make you miserable. I like that. (laughs) Very clever. Like uh, the last election. It was a hard pill to swallow, you know, for a lot of people. Uh I mean, the election before that was a hard pill to swallow for a lot of people. That's right. Every election is hard. Every yeah. le- every election is a hard pill to swallow for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And accepting that this is the state of play is fine. I mean, it may make you miserable, but what are you going to do? Storm the Capitol? What do you hate, America? <laughs> I'm just kidding. Okay, uh, moving on. Um, oh. Woodrow Wilson, you are not here merely to make a living. You are here in order to enable the world to live more amply, with greater vision, with a finer spirit of hope and achievement. You are here to enrich the world, and you impoverish yourself if you forget the errand. Wow. I like Who's that. 
Who's he talking to, America? That sounds a lot like a graduation address. Yeah. Doesn't it? It, could, it does. That's a, you're right. Absolutely. I, I kind of, it sounds like that's exactly what it sounds like. Now, Woodrow Wilson is our only president that had a PhD. Did you know that? No, really? Mm-hmm. I did not know that. Well, I like this one. I mean, I think that some people think, you know, earning a living is enough. But is it really? <laughs> you know? Now, do you have to enable the world to live more amply with greater vision? I don't necessarily know that that's the goal either. I think everyone finds their way in this world. I do too. And I think you can enrich the world without enabling it to live more amply with greater vision, with a finer spirit of hope and achievement. I agree. Actually, I understand what he's saying, and that's good to tell people to have those kinds of goals. Yes. It's not, it's not wrong to have those goals, but you don't have to have those goals. I think that's, that's good. That's a good way to put it. I, I like, in contrast to that, I like Jimmy, Jimmy Carter's okay. quote next. In contrast to Woodrow, there's nothing wrong with Woodrow Wilson, but I think it doesn't have to be that way. I like Jimmy Carter's uh, uh, response to that. Jimmy Carter, we become not a melting pot, but a beautiful mosaic. Different people, different beliefs, different yearnings, different hopes, different dreams. Yeah. We're all different, but it's a beautiful mosaic of differences. And I think those differences help enrich the world. It see, does. See, I agree with you are not here merely to make a living. You are here to enrich the world. And you impoverish yourself if you forget that errand. But, you know, these goals in the middle, uh, I could take them or leave them. You know, these are what you should be focusing on. You know, enable the world to live more amply. Uh, I don't know. With greater vision, finer spirit of hope and achievement. Is that really your goal? Or is I, it... I, I think that would have been a stronger statement. It says some of you may be here to enable. Some of you with a greater vision. Some of you. Some of them do have that, but not everyone. Yeah. It's the difference, like Jimmy Carter says. It's the differences between us that make a beautiful mosaic of, of society and the world. Mm -hmm. And that enriches the world. I like enrich the world. You are here to enrich me, the world. Yeah, me too. Not just yeah. yourself. So let's put those two together, okay, David? We'll put those two together. Should we do one more? It's got okay. uh, it's got a sunset background, so it must be important. Oh yeah, nice sunset by James K. But what's the K for? James Knox. James Knox Polk. Uh, let me see. James K. Polk. They put this in a picture. Oh, of look sunset. at me! I am so good at this game. James Knox Polk. James Knox, whoa, David, you're good at this game. Yeah, well, you have a good memory. Okay, peace. Well, well what, did, what did James Knox Polk say in this brainy quote, the last one we're doing, with a, with a picture of an ocean and a sunset, and the sun is setting in the west here and the ocean to end this episode what did he say? He said, peace, plenty, and contentment reign throughout our borders, and our beloved country presents a sublime moral spectacle to the world. I love ending on propaganda from the 19th century. <laughs> <laughs> propaganda. That's what it is, right? 
Yeah, it's, it's, we're so good here. Yeah. Well, nobody's perfect, I tell you that. You know. No. But anyway. Nobody's perfect. Yeah, we can end with that. Um, I think a lot of times, too, <laughs> wishful thinking, it is propaganda. But since that's 150 years old or whatever, I think we should just look at it and say, well, peace, plenty, contentment, and a moral spectacle are aspirational. We should right. we should aspire to all of those things. Now, to say that we have them sort of leads us to not aspire to them because we already have them. But I think peace, plenty, contentment, and presenting a moral spectacle to the world, they're all things we should aspire towards. If we never make it, at least we'll fail daring greatly, right? Yes, and that should be the, uh, the goal of every person and every nation and uh, it shouldn't be misused. <laughs> yeah. It should be aspirational. You shouldn't say, we have done this. But when you're president, you're like, hey, I did this. Vote for me again. Or, you know. Um, so I understand why he's saying it. But yeah, nothing yeah. better than to end on propaganda. And the thing about it is that a lot of the stuff that comes out of presidents' mouths is propaganda. Right? Usually it is. That's right. Now, you know, if we do this again, there's more mm -hmm. here. Mm -hmm. uh, we can go through here and say, of the presidents, which ones are not here? Yes. That might be interesting. Oh, here's George Washington. Yeah, I didn't see a lot of George Washingtons. We had a Thomas Jefferson, a George Washington, a John Adams. Uh -huh. I think we had a James Madison. We haven't uh -huh. had a James Monroe. Um, interesting. But yeah, as we may we, have to do this again. Maybe we'll do it on Thursday. We'll finish up. Yeah, that'd be good. Or maybe not even yeah. finish up because I'm looking at where my scroll bar is and we're not even halfway down the page. But hey, it's been You're fun. I'll play the I'll play the outro music. This okay. has been another episode of the Sons of Sequoia podcast, broadcasting live from Wheat Ridge, Colorado, the home of the champions. We're available wherever you get your podcasts: Google, Apple, Amazon, Stitcher, and others. And of course, every Thursday and Tuesday, most of the time, on YouTube.com. Just search for Sons of Sequoia. That's S-E-Q-U-O-Y-A-H. Is there anything you'd like to say as we leave our audience today? Sons of Sequoia says, keep on talking, but listen more than you talk and try to understand what the other person is saying.